Hello, Jukebox listeners. Just a quick editorial note before we jump into this week's episode. The subject of today's interview was Margaret Andrews, who, at the time of recording, was a visiting assistant professor of classical archaeology here at the Joukowsky Institute at Brown University. But now, she's an assistant professor of Roman history at the University of Chicago. So congratulations to her on her new job, and I hope you enjoy the episode. On this episode of The Jukebox, Carl sat down with Margaret Andrews, a visiting assistant professor of classical archaeology at the Joukowsky Institute for Archaeology and the Ancient World at Brown University. Meg, as she's known to us here at the Joukowsky Institute, is primarily a Roman archaeologist whose research focuses on the growth and transformation of ancient cities and the social dynamics that play out in urban spaces. We spoke about the layering of history and what advice she'd give to budding archaeologists. be when you were a kid you know like was was being an archaeologist uh I went through a lot of different I could definitely remember wanting to be an astronaut um but from that was about fourth grade but even from about second grade um I was really interested in dinosaurs I think as all kids are um and so I can remember sitting in second grade um copying word for word a book on dinosaurs um I don't know why I was copying it, but um, it was just fascinating. And then as I grew up, I'm not sure how I transitioned really to, to from old dinosaurs to old humans, um, but I just always had a sense of history and, and, and people's place in the world and cultural development. Um, and it's really, I'd say, in maybe middle school um, where I would, you know, I took field trips or with either classes or with my family, just traveling to different places. Um, and one of the earliest moments I can remember is uh, in Boston, in Paul Revere's house. I remember walking through the house with my my mom and dad and my sister and brother. And you got to, to his bedroom where they had it all reconstructed and everything. And there, I just had this sensation that this, that like the past was really real and that, you know, the present was a sort of continuation of that past and it's all one big grand history. Um, and so I just, after that, I remember being really just sort of curious about our place in history and how history has developed, you know, leading up to the point where we are in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was sort of that side, the intellectual side, um, the sort of conceptual side. Um, and then the sort of physical aspect of archaeology, I think we're all, all of us are, are sort of interested in being outside and working with our hands. Um, and that. I was always an athlete, so I was always outside playing sports, uh, trying to perform physically. Um, but even, but I do remember, you know, digging for things quite early. Um, and there, there's sort of some funny stories that when I look back on it, I think, oh, like that's my early interest in archaeology <laughs> coming out. Um, like we have a we have a house on the uh, Outer Banks in North Carolina, and I remember I remember being like maybe maybe seven, so around the same time I was copying books about dinosaurs, um, I was digging in the sand and the sort of sound side of our house, so not the ocean side. Um, and there were chunk, there were big concrete chunks of an earlier phase of the driveway. So I remember digging them up and just thinking that 
A, this was a past, but this was a recent past. Um, but I wanted to sort of make it more historical than uh, than it was. And down there, obviously, the biggest historical legend is Blackbeard mm-hmm. uh, as a pirate. And so I remember thinking, knowing that it obviously it was just a piece of concrete, but I remember thinking, oh, I could sort of spruce this up and paint this and make it look like Blackbeard's treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my sister and I, we did that, but then we took it one step farther by trying to sell it <laughs> so offering oh, it for no. sale for like you know a quarter or something like that um but i look back on it now and i'm like oh yeah that's me in the antiquities tree yeah. <laughs> the antiquities market <laughs> um but yeah i mean that was that was like i said seven or eight years old and i you know always wanted to sort of historicize things and look at them in the context of of the past um yeah so how uh how did you transition from this more generalized interest to Rome, Italy? Was Um, it through Latin? So this is a a very uh, windy story because I first got interested in Latin uh, because I was interested in early modern European history. So specifically Renaissance Reformation Mm -hmm. kind of things. I had read Carlo Ginsberg's The Cheese of the Worms, which is this absolutely fabulous micro history of a single person a uh, single man uh, in early modern uh, 16th century Italy uh, who has this crazy cosmic vision of the world that the universe is like a ball of cheese with worms crawling <laughs> through it, so wormholes. And um, this book by the historian Ginsberg is, uh, he just combs the historical records about this guy, um, and mostly his Inquisition, so he was tried as a heretic, um, mostly his Inquisition records. And I um, became sort of fascinated in this process uh, and, and sort of religious conflict and uh, persecution. And so I was interested in history, but obviously as I was reading Ginsburg, who was dealing, who's sort of a master at microhistory and looking at archival records, um, I realized as my, as my teacher did, I had a great teacher who himself had gotten his PhD uh, at Virginia in early modern European history. Um, they, you know, I, I basically realized and they told me that, you know, if you really want to do this right, you've got to learn Latin. You've got to, to, to go to the original source of the documents. Uh, and I was taking Spanish at the time. Uh, and this was my junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And so the summer of my junior year, after my junior year, going into my senior year, I taught myself Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in contact with our Latin instructor, uh, high school Latin instructor over the summer, sort of keeping him abreast of my progress and then came back. Um, came back that fall, my senior year, starting in Latin three. So I sort of called, called myself up on two years of Latin. Um, and then interestingly, at the, at the same time, also that summer, I was, I was looking at colleges, of course, junior summer, junior summer. Um, and I was also playing squash at the time. So I was, um, I was at squash camp at Princeton. And uh, the f- sort of most famous early modern European historian, Anthony Grafton, was at Princeton. And... I cold called him (laughs) when I was at squash camp. I cold called him and I explained to him who I was. And, you know, I'm really into your modern European history, early modern European history. And I've read, I've read most of his books. Uh, And he agreed to meet and we met for coffee and he sort of asked me about what I was interested in, what I was doing. And I said, I wanted to come to Princeton and um, he was very encouraging. So I applied and then I got in um, and started as his research assistant. Um, sort of working for working for him, uh, and then it was it was Grafton actually who had said uh, similar to what I had been told in high school. If you want to get to the to the to the actual history, you've got to go back to the to the source. 
Um, so I had done the Latin to get at the early medieval or early modern European sources. Um, but I, Grafton basically said, you, you have to go to antiquity because everything that's happening in the Renaissance mm-hmm. and, in, and in the Reformation is sort of rooted in the concepts and the philosophy of antiquity. And so he said, if you want to go to grad school uh, and be a early modern European scholar, um, be a classics major. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, like, you know, I learned my Latin and my Cicero in, in high school. And, uh, and so I went to classics and then I never came back, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah, kept getting sort of more intrigued by the Roman world and the Greek world, too. Um, but even still to this day, I sort of maintain this long durée um, chronological focus, sort of understanding how different right. periods connect to each other. There from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what was your first experience uh, in the field doing archaeology? It was after my senior year, after my senior year of high school. So I was entering Princeton. Um, and I should say that actually my senior year of high school, I took a trip to Rome mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with, the other, with a handful of other Latin students. Um, and I had this sort of, as, as we would say in the South, this come to Jesus moment where I was the first day that we had arrived and we walked up onto the Capitoline Hill and we walked out and we looked at the overview of the Roman Forum. And I had seen pictures, of course, but as soon as I saw it in real life, that, that feeling that I had had in Paul Revere's house sort of came to me again. Um, and I just was enraptured, really. Uh, and I knew as soon as I saw that f- the forum that this was something that I wanted to sort of dedicate my life to um, in, in one capacity or another. Um, and my Latin teacher in high school had actually worked with Ian Morris at Monte Polizzo um, from Stanford. He had gotten his, uh, he had done his graduate work at Stanford. And so he encouraged me to try out archaeology. Um, and so I went back to North Carolina that summer, and I uh, got in touch with the sort of local university, which is ECU, which is East Carolina. And they actually run a project on an American Ice Age site, uh, basically in my backyard, right, the same county in which I was, I was spending time that summer. And so he said, sure, come on out, uh, give it a try. And uh, I got out there, and it was uh, <laughs> it's interesting methods, uh, maybe a one-by-one trench, a handful of sort of one-by-ones, maybe two-by-twos. Um, and we were digging, and it's, it's you know, American archaic, it's Ice Age, you're just looking for soil changes and, and lithics, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so I wasn't so uh, into the, ma- the actual material, mm-hmm. but the method and the process I loved. Uh, so I knew I, I you know, loved being in the field. I mm-hmm. liked the documentation process, the interpretation process. Um, yeah, sort of gathering the data. Um, and so it was as I, you know, I had that little taste of archaeology coming into Princeton. And then when I uh, sort of committed to classics, I guess my sophomore year at Princeton, I said, okay, I can combine these two to make a sort of natural mm-hmm. um, union in classical archaeology, Roman archaeology. Um, so yeah, that was sort of how it all came together. Very different Mm -hmm. sort of threads of my life sort of coming together and and gelling, um, at that moment, the first couple of years of, of, of Princeton. Um, and then from then on out, I declared a classics major, but I spent, you know, just as much, if not more time, um, in the art and archeology, span um, department taking courses from, uh, sort of the big three archeologists there who were there at the time have since retired. Um, and then I sort of just continued field work after that. What so what is it about um, the place, the places that you work every summer that bring you back to them? Um, 
it's the layering of the history um, and and how visible that is. I mean, every mm-hmm. everywhere is a layering of history, of course. Um, but at Rome and in Roman cities in general, um, you that's often really really explicit uh, mm-hmm. and really evocative. I think, um, and so that aspect of the physic like asserting as seeing a sort of physicality of the time, a materiality of of time passing, um, is uh, it just strikes me as as really um, as something that I'm that really gets me excited. Uh, I mean, I think back to sort of being in Paul Revere's house, and it was that juxtaposition of sort of modern Boston mm-hmm. with uh, Paul Revere that just, you know, how did this happen, right? Um, so when you see the layering of the history, uh, and even the forum, I mean, if you look at the forum now, it's not as if it's a snapshot of, you know, Ciceronian Rome or Augustan Rome. It's every, right. it's a sort of hodgepodge of things piled on top of the other. Um, and I often think if there's sort of one time I could go back in time and live, it would be like Rome right after right after the sort of collapse of the city, so around the, the, the late 5th century or so, mm-hmm. and how confused people must have been sort of walking around in this landscape of monuments uh, attesting to the sort of grandeur and the importance of the city uh, in the past and, and sort of five centuries later, uh, what had happened, mm-hmm. right? Um, both with the physical aspects of the structures themselves, but but the the institutions that mm-hmm. had propped them up, right? The politics, the economy, uh, religion had changed vastly, right. um, and so yeah, I mean, with Rome especially, uh, that's that's really visible and really really um, uh, tangible, I guess. Right. Uh, and that's just it's something that since a kid, it's always just struck me um, as as something that that yeah, it's just really interesting to mm-hmm. me. Do you have any favorite? I don't know, pop culture, uh, <laughs> you know, references or, or adaptations of Roman history. Yeah, I mean, the the HBO's production, Rome, mm. um, which I'm always surprised at how few students have actually seen it. because well, it's, been, it's been a while it's now. It's been a while, but yeah. it, was, it came out right as I started grad school. Right. So for me, it, it, it looms large um, in my sort of formative, sco- formative scholarly years. But um, that's a show that really did Rome well in a visual sense, uh, the, the history, they sort of took some liberties right. on the actual it narrative over itself. Right. Um, but I think they did, did it justice visually, if not, you know, actual you know, factual, uh, representations of specific structures. I mean, they, there's sort of all sorts of an anachronisms and, and inaccuracies in, in that, but just the, the visual landscape, I think is what, um, is really striking there. Uh, the colors, the big picture stuff. Yeah, the colors of the streets, the the crowdedness of the streets, right? The noise, uh, you can't smell it obviously, but you get a sense of of just how sort of dirty, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see, we always imagine Rome as this gleaming white monumental city, and that was such a minuscule part of its of its urban fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, so HBO's Rome, I think, does a really good job of of depicting sort of the other side, right? Um, and so that I, I almost always show something from from HBO's room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other uh, movie that I that is just so great is um, Roman Holiday, um, which you know she has this, uh, especially the scene where she and um, Gregory Peck right are um, are riding on the moped mm-hmm. through the city, um, and that's a scene that you get the sort of um, the effect of the motion. Right of moving through the city and the importance of uh, having this sort of changing backdrop 
of of uh, of the monuments. And again, you see the layering of the time there. And um, you know, she's she's a part of this culture, right? That this very aristocratic uh, culture that is that is restrained and uh, you know, sort of what we think of when we think of um, European cities is this sort of the ruling class. Uh, and yet she longs to just be like sort of part, a regular part mm -hmm. of the city, right? And so when she's going through on the moped, you can see the sort of utter joy in her face of, of just sort of experiencing the city in a, in a sort of real way, not in mm -hmm. a contrived and artificial and, and restrained way. Um, yeah, so I think that's that does uh, pretty good justice, I think, to to the city and the life of the city. So do you, do you think there are, there are any, um, I mean, there must be, but what uh, what um, places in the Roman world or events from Roman history do you think would make for a really good uh, like TV show or movie or? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I'm sure they've all been covered <laughs> <laughs> at some point or another. Um, yeah, again, I sort of go back to, to late antique and 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 you know, late antique or, or early medieval, depending upon how you define it. Um, where you have this sort of reckoning right. with the past, right? And uh, especially the fourth century, right? You have this power vacuum created by the transplanting of the capital from Rome to, to Constantinople. And a city that was once full of, of aristocrats, right? The elite um, vying for sort of courtly positions and imperial positions in the imperial administration. All of a sudden that's gone, right? And so they have this choice. Do I stay here, right? And this, what is used to be the capital, right? It looks like the capital, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not functioning as the capital. Do I stay here or do I, do I move with uh, Constantine and the imperial court? Um, and sure enough, many of them stay, right? Because they're actually taking advantage of this power vacuum mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's created. Some, some leave, definitely. We have sort of abandoned houses in the fourth century. Um, but what we really get is an expansion of these houses of sort of former, you know, large houses to begin with, but they, uh, they get renovated and expanded and they encroach on city streets. They, you know, they, they sort of build over, um, smaller houses that, that were once next door. Uh, and you can see this moment with the elite that they're sort of vying for, uh, a local power now, uh, instead of an imperial power. Um, sort of showing off their new their new prestige, um, and so that would that's sort of an interesting setting because they are sort of still trying to maintain that sort of former dignity uh, and those positions, but um, in a in a in a completely different political context. Mm -hmm. uh, and so on the ground, you actually see them sort of gaining prestige and gaining power and gaining status, or at least showing it off uh, more visibly. Um, but in reality, uh, their situation was was vastly different, right? Mm -hmm. At least their um, their political situation was was much diminished. Diminished. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be a, a sort of in interesting time, a sort of reckoning um, with where are we now, kind of a fork in the road, kind of decision for these guys. Um, and then, of course, there's there's the the Christian aspect as well, right? Um, where your you know, resources are now being di uh, sort of diverted into the church, and that becomes the primary venue for uh civic ergotism and um and that so it's just it's a it's a very complicated period um i want to go back to uh your schooling mm -hmm. um i'm interested how you came once you were in a phd program how you picked a dissertation topic <laughs> um, i struggled 
uh, badly with coming up with a topic, um, largely because I had been working pretty closely with my advisor, who was a Balforsher. So he was, he was you know, from this German uh, school of training that, that's very into very careful and precise architectural and structural documentation. And so I'd been doing a lot of work in that sense. Um, and I'd been looking into sort of building materials and building technology. And so really going down this sort of structural path. Uh, and it sort of hit me my second year, second or third year, um, that that's not what I wanted to dedicate my life to. Um, in part because I sort of thought that it was a sort of, there was a sort of finite bit of information that you could learn and know. Um, but also it's a, when, as soon as you get sort of more technical, um, it becomes a more collaborative project. And so I pretty much assumed that I couldn't do an effective dissertation on my own, uh, which is the point of a dissertation. Right. Um, and so I sort of thought about different topics. I'd been working on the city of Alexandria um, in depth. And so I thought something maybe about Alexandria. And that got me thinking in terms of sort of urbanism and um, urban change. And then thought maybe doing a study of, of Cherchel, which is sort of like a smaller version of Alexandria. Okay. Um, and it hasn't really been done it hasn't been studied really all that in depth. There's been a huge landscape um, studied by Laveau, I think. Um, but the city itself has never really been studied. So I thought maybe that, but Algeria at the time, um, access was, was mm -hmm. pretty bad. And, you know, being a sort of young female, it was even worse. Uh, it would have been even worse and even more dangerous. Um, and so I just kept thinking, and I knew that I was into really interested in sort of long durée urban change. Um, and I knew Rome really well. Um, and yeah, I just sort of spun different options. And then I had the, the sort of moment, I think it seems like I have a lot of these in my life, where I got out of bed and it just hit me what I should do. And I thought uh, the Subura, which uh, I had, had sort of always intrigued me as an undergrad learning about it from the literary perspective. Um, being a sort of uh, hotbed of prostitution. And so I have always been interested in social history as well. And I think for my first couple of years of grad school, I didn't devote enough time to that, to studying it. And, and at some point, I guess it just sort of struck me that that's a really big interest of mine. Um, and so it struck me that I could do a long durée study of the Sabura, which no one has done. Uh, we only know it from the literary perspective. Um, and so I could take a sort of... Um, archaeological material approach and sort of look at it from sort of urban landscape perspective um not just to in the sort of old school method of proving the authors wrong or right of course um but just seeing what the the other history of it is mm -hmm. right um and so i decided to go i was just going to do the imperial period i was just going to start at basically caesar and augustus um and go up to about 850 or so um and then I realized that you, you can't just start the story in Medios Res, right? You have to sort of go back to the beginning. And as I did that, I realized sort of how um, how rooted um, these ideologies that uh, were implanted in the Sabura, um, how rooted they were in the sort of deep history of the city um, and Rome's early, earliest past. Um, so yeah, again, it was one of those moments where you know, you're sort of spinning your wheels, grasping at straws, and then at the right moment, 
several different threads of your life come together. I hadn't thought about the Sabura in probably four or five years since my undergrad days. Um, and it just sort of struck me as, oh, yeah, I was interested in that. I'm interested in social history. It's, you know, it's an opportune place to do this kind of study because it hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, you know, it also has that history. It's not like it gets abandoned or anything. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of lucky. It just sort of occurred to me, popped into my mind. Um, but, you know, I feel like every grad student sort of goes through that phase where you're sort of reaching and testing out ideas and you realize that the evidence isn't there, or the scholarship isn't there, or, um, or what. And you just have to keep, keep going, right? Um, and thinking about things that you've done, things that you've been interested in, things that you've worked on, experience you have. Um, and, you know, hopefully it, it comes together. Right. Um, and, of course, your life can go down a lot of different paths based on that decision. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I sort of picked a good place to work, Rome. Mm -hmm. So I got to spend a lot of time uh, in the city, and that's all uh, well and good and great, of course. Um, but, I mean, it's interesting because that research really came to the fore when I was spending time at the American Academy as a fellow. And um, at that point, you know, I was my, my husband was at home. I was you know, having a blast sort of being in Rome, doing my research on my own. Um, and it's in that research process that I sort of started discovering, really, that there was this ideology of, of in the Sabora of women as proper wives and, and, and mothers. And uh, it, it was sort of meaningless personally to me, of course. I mean, I was a wife, but uh, you know, in, a, in a very sort of uh, independent relationship, of mm -hmm. course. Um, and then after I got back from Rome, we, we decided to have a child. I became a mom. Uh, and so this ideology of motherhood and what it means to be a mom uh, sort of fell into my life at the same time that I was working on this, um, this area of the city that had this historical, ide historical ideology of, of women being mothers and, and wives. And uh, it, yeah, it made me think a lot about sort of who I was, what kind of you know, values I have, what kind of values current society has uh, on uh, women and motherhood. Um, and yeah, it's a sort of a sort of happy marriage, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, between what I study and, and the direction that my life took. Um, it was a, you know, on our part, it was a very intentional decision to have a child, but at the time I didn't at all sort of connect right. two and two um, until sort of after the fact. I was like, oh, yeah, huh. <laughs> uh, you know. So what do you what do you think you would have done if you didn't go into archaeology? Oh, I think about this a lot these days. <laughs> um, I before I sort of fell in love with history um, in high school, I'd say that really took right. uh, that took root. I sort of realized I wanted to be like a professional historian. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, medical doctor. Medical doctor. Yeah, no idea what kind of doctor sure. I really wanted to be, but it was just. You know, it was something that like smart kids do, and I was good at science. Do you and, see, and but math. do do you see any of the of that manifest in your life? Are you like a? Uh, no, I'm. I don't. And as like, I get older, do you older, like know a lot about? No, 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 not at all. And in fact, no, my uh, no, my husband went to went to did a year and a half of medical school before he realized he was more interested in the policy side of medicine. Right. Uh, and I do think that I actually know more than he does, even after a year and a half <laughs> of medical school. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, I do see the skills that I think I would have liked as sure. a doctor. Uh, I always liked sort of the appeal of surgery mm -hmm. uh, was always strong for me. And uh, clearly the sort of working with your hands and, and being mechanical. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in a way, has transitioned over to archaeology. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny how quickly that sort of dropped. Right. Um, and never really thought about it again. And, in fact, as I get older, I get even more, like, I get sort of queasier and more easily um, disgusted by medical things. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to your child if they told you in the next couple of years that they want to be an archaeologist when they grow up. He has already told me this oh, no. uh, several times. I think the problem is that I love archaeology too much that I feel bad discouraging from it and I sort of right. enable this. So I, I, we've set up his sandbox to basically be like a stratified site. <laughs> um, and so we have like, you know, we basically dug down to the bottom and we set up a sort of little uh, scene and then mm -hmm. covered it up and then set up another scene on top of it. And so he will take my trowel quite often in the, in the spring and summertime and sort of dig through um, and, and find stuff and he gets so excited. And he says all the time that he wants to be an archeologist. Um, and it's hard, of course, right? Because the, it's an important field, of course. We all, mm -hmm. you know, see the importance of it and realize the importance that a historical perspective gives on uh, contemporary um, situations. But the job market, of course, um, and the, the dependence that at least you know, American academics uh, working in, in the Mediterranean, the dependence on, on universities, right, for right. our research and, uh, and funding is problematic given the sort of state of the direction of the American right. um, educational system at the moment. Um, so it's hard. I mean, who knows? He's, he's four and, you know, by the time he's 18, maybe things will have will have changed and gotten better. But, mm -hmm. um, no, all I can do now is, is do, I think what anyone, any parent would do is just instill a sort of curiosity, um, about people of the past, about different cultures, uh, understanding that, uh, we are, as I, as I realized myself as a kid, that we are a part of a, a part of a, a deeper history, right. And, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, our lives are conditioned by the lives that came before us. Uh, and he gets it. I think that he's a, I always think of him as like an archaeological prodigy because he, uh, he sort of understands stratigraphy. Mm -hmm. He sort of understands that old buildings are underneath the ground and that you have to go down and, and dig them up. And then as I was explaining this, he said, but can't you just use like machines that show you where stuff is under the ground? <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, you're going to be a remote sensor, I see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's, it's fun to sort of see him yeah. think about uh you know, aspects of the uh, aspects of our work, like field techniques, for example, right. um, you know, how it appears to a four year old is uh, shockingly similar to how it yeah. appears to us as we learn this going through our training. Do you see in the, in the same way that you thought the pieces of the driveway were part of Blackbeard's ship? <laughs> do you see him making these grand narratives about the things he finds? Yeah, I do. I've always said that I don't have a creative bone in my body, um, but I think that that has to be patently untrue for all archaeologists, right? Mm -hmm. we, we are constantly asked to envision a past, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to, to, to bring our own, to fill in the gaps um, with our own, you know, obviously informed um, imaginations. Uh, but he's incredibly creative and imaginative and he constructs these whole worlds and I don't think I did that as a kid um maybe the Blackbird story sort of speaks against what I'm trying to say and that I was actually more creative as a right. kid than I am led or I tell myself but well I think once you get older you yeah uh, are maybe socialized to 
to not indulge take things those. seriously yeah. And, yeah. yeah uh he loves it he's um he any books there's a book series that sort of takes kids back into the past takes like cont- two contemporary kids back into the past to sort of relive moments in history um and he loves those books and he, he's just starting to read now but i read them to him mm-hmm. and so and they have one for just about every sort of important moment in history the pompeii right. the olympics uh civil war revolutionary war all these sorts of things so he um yeah i think it's sort of naturally curious about the past but i definitely uh will foster that i think would and and would foster that more than sort of any other mm-hmm. uh any other parent in a different occupation does it ever occur to him to sell the artifacts that he finds no he doesn't have very much concept of money at this point <laughs> but uh who knows i would yeah i was i don't know six seven eight at that time so he's got a, he's got a few more years to get sort of jaded sure. uh, indoctrinated into yeah. the capitalist mindset <laughs> <laughs> that had clearly uh washed over me by that point yeah, <laughs> yeah. um which is, I don't know, it's kind of funny now because as an archaeologist, I think the popular perception of archaeologists is that, oh, you, you study things or you study objects. And certainly mm-hmm. we do. Uh, and there are people who's you know, dedicate their lives to objects. But, but for me, it's never been about objects. It's always been about the, the narrative and the story. Um, and so the, the coolest thing for me is always uh, the stratigraphy, of course, right. right? The actual um, events as they played out. Um, and so you get... You know, the, the classic question that all archaeologists give is, what's the coolest thing that you right. found? Um, but I know that, like, oh, XYZ cut with XYZ fill is probably mm-hmm. not going to uh, <laughs> to sell as well as, you know, oh, the gold coin or the, right. uh, the, the intact pot or, yeah. or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, with, with, I think, conveying or teaching, I mean, whether it's your own child or... Um, or your students. I mean, for me, it's it, it's the narrative. It's less a sort of formal analysis of the monuments or the mm-hmm. or the objects, um, but the the ideas behind them, the cultural value and the meaning behind them, um, and sort of seeing how that is or is or is not like what we have today, mm-hmm. um, and how um, it may have conditioned uh, our sort of social values today. And so, you know, even you know, with my child and with students, that's that's the primary lesson, right? right? It's that we are again part of this deep history, um, and that. You know, there are different people, different cultures, and, and they all relate, right? This is this is a, a collective history, not just um, you know one countries or or one uh, peoples. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for of course. Down with me. <laughs>